So how's everyone doing this morning? You guys doing okay? Are we, are we excited? Oh, it's good. Yes, we should be excited. We get to, we get to gather together, and, and there's this gracious, amazing God who's willing to meet us in this space, and so it's a good thing to be together. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, you know, people have often asked me, Mike, is there any significance to the, the T-shirts that you wear? Uh, I've noticed that you wear astronauts a lot. I noticed that you wear things with outer space on it a lot. Um, and for one, it's kind of fitting for graduation service because we're launching, uh, we're launching students into the world. But but more than that, it's actually true. There is. I, I actually have a fascination with outer space and space travel. Any space nerds here? Anyone here? Like, I, I just kind of geek out about it a little bit. And not so much for science fiction purposes, but, but really for the idea and the spirit of being like a pioneer. To be able to go where no one else has gone before, to see worlds that no one else has seen before, it kind of it fascinates me. It gets me excited. It kind of has always captivated me as a kid. And it really, for all, all human history, we've seen the moon. We've looked at the moon, and we said, wow, that's a beautiful moon. Did you see the moon today? It's a full moon. It's a whatever moon. It's a, it's a waning gibbous. It's a waxing gibbous. I don't know where gibbous came from, but it's a thing. And we look at the moon, and we say, wow, that's incredible, all throughout human history. But there was a few people that were bold enough and audacious enough to dream and say, one day I actually want to go there. Why? I don't know. Just because we can. Like, it's, it seems like an absurd idea to think that us as people could find a way to actually explore a new world and actually make it to the moon. Like, if I were to tell you I'm going to the moon, you'd be like, Mike, you can't even jump very high, let alone climb a flight of stairs, and you're telling me you're getting to the moon. And yet these pioneers were, were, were bold enough and, and crazy enough to dream the impossible, and that when we put people on the moon, the whole world stopped in amazement. And when I think about church a little bit and coming together on church, I, I sometimes wonder what would it look like if we came every Sunday morning with a little bit of a pioneering spirit. Uh, to, to be able to like, we, every day we come together as a church, we look at the amazing and remarkable word of God. We get to hear Jesus' incredible call on our lives to come follow him and actually be a part of the work that he does. And then, and then what would it be like if we could be like pioneers and say, you know what, I actually, I, I've seen it, everyone sees it and marvels at it, but I actually want to go and do it. I actually want to go and be a part of it. I want to actually go and put my hands and feet to the things that Jesus does. I'm going to take him at his word today. What if we just came to church with a little bit of a pioneering spirit? I wonder what would happen. Uh, Paul, Paul says this, this in Philippians chapter three, and I love this verse. It says, not that I've obtained, already obtained all this. I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold of that which Christ took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what is ahead, and I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You have an upward call on your life this morning. And my invitation to us and our invitation this morning is would we press on this morning? Would we, would we lean in with the spirit of a pioneer a little bit and say, okay, God, I want to I press on this morning. I'm going to push my boundaries with you a little bit. I want to take a few steps forward. I don't want this to just be another Sunday, but I want to encounter you in your word and I want to take you at your word and actually go where you're calling me to go. Would you do that with me this morning? Would you, would you take a moment and pray? Jesus, as we approach your word, um, we, we come with this question. Um, Jesus, what are you calling us to do? And where are you leading us? 
Lord, we wanna come with a pioneering spirit and go where you call us to go. Lord, you've, you've continually sent your church into the world to do incredible, remarkable things, but it, it takes leaving the unknown. It takes going into unfamiliar places. It takes leaving our comfort behind and saying yes to you, Lord, and, and, and to step into the unfamiliar territory of trusting in you. But Lord, you promised to meet us on the other side of that, Jesus, and so we wanna take your, your word, and we wanna be a church that doesn't just be hearers of the word, but we wanna be doers of the word also. And as we, as we look at our value as a church to be sending, as we send our graduates, and as we look at ourselves as a church to be sent in our community, would you, would you stir something in our hearts in Jesus' name? All God's people said, amen. All right, ready to dive in? All right, let's go. <clears throat> um, as we talk about graduates and we have our graduation Sunday, um, it's often time for us as a church to sort of revisit our value of being sent into our community. Uh, we are not just a church that gathers on Sunday mornings to have a church service, but really we're sent into the world where we go. You will spend more time outside these four walls than you will inside them. And as much as we can have great worship services and, and other things, we want this to frame up a conversation that God is doing outside this space. Um, and, and to go there. And so what does it mean to be sent into the world uh, that we're going into? <clears throat> there is this passage where Jesus is going to send his disciples into the world, into their community, into their world to do something. And he's going to give them uh, some kind of unique and different advice. At first glance, it's kind of like, that's kind of a strange thing for Jesus to say. But I think if we can get a hold a little bit of what he's talking about and grasp a little bit of what he's saying, I think it can give us a little bit of a better picture and a more clear context of what it means to be a church sent to our community. So to help us prepare for that, uh, it's, it's the first Sunday of the month, which means our MV kids are in here. MV kids, you want to wave your hands? Are you guys here? Hey, we're glad you guys are here. We see you. Uh, we want to have a family conversation, and I want to ask you this question. Uh, discuss, what animal in the world uh, best describes your personality uh, and Why? Or if, maybe it's not the animal, maybe it's a couple, like, couple animals, maybe it's a combination, or maybe it's just an animal you feel like you look like. If you, if you don't know what animal you are, you can turn to the person with you, and they can tell you, but be careful. Be careful in what you say. Um, but real quick, talk with the people next to you, real fast, like about 30 to 45 seconds. All right, so when you think of yourself as an animal, I, I wondered this question myself, and I wondered... What animal best describes who I am as Mike Locke? And I, I had a hard time figuring out how I was going to answer that question. And so I, I came up with the idea, I, I think I'm kind of a panda. Um, I think we got that up there. I, I think I'm a bit of a panda um, because pandas are just kind of laid back and they're kind of chill. Um, and I'm kind of built like a panda. I'm a little tubby and round. I'm not going to be, I'm just, hey, I'm just calling it like it is. I call it like I see it. So when I think of who I am, I'm a little bit like a panda. But, you know, I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit goofy and I'm, I'm kind of strange and I get a little bit crazy sometimes. So maybe I'm, I'm a little bit more like a kung fu panda. Um, and so maybe that's, that's, that's the animal that describes who I am the best. Um, <clears throat> but to use uh, the so Jesus is going to give us uh, a couple animals to use uh, the illustration of what he's calling us to do. So a quick context of our passage, we're going to be spending our time in Matthew 10. So if you want to open up your phones or open up your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Matthew 10 most of the time. I'll be jumping around a little bit, but if you just want to use that as your, your placeholder. A little quick context, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. He has uh, come and his ministry has started. He's called his disciples to be with him. And things are really getting moving. Things are going. And uh, they've been around him. They've heard his teaching. And now it's sort of quiz time for the disciples. He is going to send his disciples out. He's going to give them authority to do the very things that Jesus was doing. A remarkable one. It blows my mind. Can you imagine following Jesus? And then Jesus is like, all right, you've seen some incredible stuff and I want you to go do it. 
Um, it's just remarkable to me. So Jesus sends the disciples out to go do some remarkable things. And in that time, he's going to give them some instructions about what it looks like to engage a world that doesn't know him. Again, Jesus' ministry wasn't, they didn't have social media. The idea of Jesus is so commonplace to us, but Jesus was, was still getting known into the ancient world. And so Jesus is sending his followers. So a lot of people are like, hey, let me tell you about the kingdom. And let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus who? What? Let me tell you about the kingdom. The what? Let me explain it to you. And so Jesus was sending into his world and that, that was really kind of a blank slate that didn't quite always knew all the things that were going on and being talked about. Um, and so he sends them first to the, the children of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. Um, so we're going to look at that passage. And then in the end of that, he's going to give them this kind of this warning, this picture. Um, and that's the picture I want us to focus on this morning. But if you'll follow along with me in Matthew 10, we'll just sort of read the, the narrative so you have the context. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. And these were the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. First of all, if you know anything about these names, you know that this was pretty a ragtag group of people. Uh, we had zealots and we have, we have tax collectors all working together. We have people that are in all different kind of walks of life willing to set aside their differences because of the compelling call of Jesus on their life. And what a cool picture of us as a church is we, we don't have to go for uniformity, right? But we could be a ragtag bunch of people that can set aside some of our bigger, our smaller differences so we could say yes to the things that Jesus is calling us. And then it goes on in verse 5. These 12, Jesus, these are the 12 that Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into the town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. That can be kind of a perplexing verse. Isn't Jesus here for the world? Yes, but Jesus first came to reach the Jewish people, the people of Jewish descent. This is where the promise of God starts, and from there it unfolds to the world. And so in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, we're going to start with hometown. We're going to start with home base. We're going to reach our family. He says, so go, uh, and he says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the message. Kingdom of heaven has come near. And how are you going to show that the kingdom of heaven is here? Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Um, cleanse those who have, have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Those are in crazy instructions. Now, it would be uh, crazy. I mean, anyone could say those words. But the proof of those words is that those people actually went and did it. And spoiler alert, they did. Whoa. So Jesus sends them into the world, this, un, this world that doesn't know them, and they get to express the kingdom. They get to serve the world around them and do these awesome things. And he says, do not get any gold or silver or copper or take it with you, um, to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey and no extra shirt or sandals or staff uh, for the worker's worth his keep. In other words, when you go, God's going to provide for you. In ministry, as he sends you out, like don't, don't make it about taking care of yourself. God is going to show up through the people that you meet. As you enter in the home, uh, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if not, let your peace return to you. And if anyone has not welcomed you or listened to your words, leave, them, leave that home or leave that town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom or Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town. Jesus simply says, go and do it, but the burden doesn't fall on you, and if they don't, let you take your peace back. You don't, you don't have to like, make it about a fight and convince them. If they don't, they just walk away, and believe me, they're missing out, and it would be worse than the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day I was on tonight, this morning. 
Matthew 10, 16, he goes on to say this, I am sending you out like sheep. Matthew 10, 16, he goes on to say this, I am sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. We get this picture that Jesus has a mission for his disciples and he is sending them into the world. And he gives them these instructions about how to do it and where, like, where the ownership falls. Is it God's work? Is it their work? All that stuff gets kind of sorted out in his instructions. But then he kind of gives this warning. It's like, okay, you're ready to go. Yes, you get to do some awesome things. Sweet. And it's going to be amazing. What are you going to do? Well, awesome. It's going to be like reaching a world of wolves. Okay, wait, what? I'm sorry. This all sounded really good until the wolves part, Jesus. Um, I, I sometimes wonder what it was like for the first disciples to have heard that. I mean, like, uh, Jesus, Jesus, you did it again. You said, you said some things that sort of were confusing, and I, I just need to clarify for your sake, because I, I believe you said you're sending us out like sheep into a world full of wolves. That seems a little bit backwards. I mean, aren't you the one who's in charge of all things? I mean, couldn't you have given us a little bit better of an animal? And, I mean, don't we have that kind of authority to cast out demons? And so aren't we the wolves going out to sheep? I mean, let's go get them, rawr! You know, like this, that was, I don't know where that came from. I apologize for the last two minutes of that, that moment there. But, but he goes on to clarify, he says, no, 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 you're, you're gonna go out like sheep. And the world around you is like wolves. In other words, I'm sending you kind of out into a world that wants to eat you alive. <laughs> Hold on, Jesus. That doesn't sound comforting to me. That doesn't sound comfortable to me. This, this book, Matthew, was written to uh, help recruit, help people understand who Jesus was so they could be a part of his movement and put their trust in Jesus. This isn't exactly the, the, the top list recruiting language. You're going to go, and it's going to be terrible, and you're going to go into a world that wants to devour you. Who wants to sign up? And this is it. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches and he sends it. Because when I think of wolves, I, I think that's the animal I'd rather be in this, this situation, this scenario. I mean, you got a wolf up there on the screen there, but like, I think of an apex predator when I think of a wolf. I, I think of piercing eyes. I think of fangs when I think you know, of wolves. I think of a skilled hunter, survives harsh conditions, um, fast, and they're the king of the forest. Um, Jesus, that's who you meant to call us, right? But instead, Jesus calls us sheep. Right there. That's our mirror right there. I mean, I don't know whether I should be offended or not at that, Jesus. I mean, it's not the most flattering portrait of, of what I want to be called up. And I looked it up. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are among the dumbest mammals on the planet. It's true. I'm not making this up. They are incredibly stubborn. They scare super easily. Uh, they get lost. And compared to wolves, they aren't tough and cool. They are just fluffy. They're just fluffy. They're, they're cotton balls with legs, right? I mean, they're not a whole lot more. And they, here, here's another fun fact about them. They can actually drown getting a drink of water. Speaking of which, I should probably do the same. They can drown getting a drink of water. How does that happen? They can go into like shores, and if they're not paying attention to the, the, the water coming up on them while they're lapping it up, they can get pulled out to sea. And because they're just cotton balls with legs, they can't get back. And it's a very sad story. I'm sorry for this... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone there. Um, um, anyways, and also, when they get scared, they faint. They have this weird, this weird thing about fainting. There's uh, this ring door cam, uh, and, and there's videos like this all over the internet. This is just the first one that popped up, and so I played it. But here is an actual picture of a UPS truck going to deliver whoever's Amazon packages or whatever that they got. And on the way out, they hit a bump. And that bump causes the, the truck to sort of rattle a little bit, and you're going to see what happens to the sheep uh, when that happens. What? 
Uh, what a, your sheep. Welcome, welcome to. Um, so, one of my another one of my favorite clips, and this this probably captures a little bit more of what I'm talking about, what it means and looks like to be a sheep here. Here's a here's a young boy helping a sheep who gets stuck in a, a crevice uh, in a town, and this is this is what it looks like here. Oh, poor thing, right? And you feel bad for the sheep. He's like, oh, look at him. He's stuck in this. What a terrible situation. Whee! Man. I don't know how I feel about that. But as much as I don't want to admit it, uh, the more I think about it, the more fitting this word picture becomes, right? I mean, we're stubborn. Okay, maybe I can't speak for you, but I'm stubborn, and I know that I am. I mean, how many times have I heard God's word and been given great advice and godly advice that I, in my mind, say, that makes sense? I heard it on a Sunday morning. I'm like, I'm going to change my life. And I go, and I just I do, some, I do my own thing. I'm like, that sounds good, but yeah, no. I'm going to go this way instead. How many times has God given me instructions and I end up lost and don't know where I am because I have chose to go my own way? Um, How many times has God told me to be bold and to be courageous and to be fearless and to not be afraid? And instead I choose fear. I cave and I don't do what God's calling me to do. Why? Because I'm afraid, right? And, And how many times? Have I gotten myself into a mess where I cried out to God for help? God, I am stuck. I am stuck and I can't get out of this situation. And if you just show up this once, God, if you just rescue me from my situation, if you could just get me out of my my rut, I promise I'll never do this again. Only to have like moments later fall into the same pattern and the same trap all over again. Can you relate? I mean, I think think when I look at it, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. And here's the thing. In this metaphor, what is actually pretty cool and pretty amazing is that Jesus picks the most unlikely animal to go make an extraordinary difference in the most unlikely place. And Jesus could, he had, in his repertoire, he had all the animals, right? He's God. So, I mean, he's, you know, I could, I could pick any animal. I could pick an axolotl. That's an animal. That's a, that wouldn't really work. But he could pick whatever animal he wants. He could pick something bold, tough, and ferocious. But instead, he picked something incredibly unlikely to help his disciples understand what's about to take place. And so he chooses sheep. And that's great news for us. Because like Jesus sees you and he knows you. He knows where you're sitting right now. And he knows your ins and your outs, your stubbornness. He knows your, your foibles, your, your, your quirks. He knows the places that you've, you've fallen into the same rut over and over again. He knows the places that you feel stuck. He knows the places that you aren't following his direction right now. And it hasn't stopped him from pursuing you. And it hasn't stopped him from sending you into the world. He knows you're a sheep and he's sending you anyways. And if you pause for a minute, that's actually kind of a freeing thing. It's a freeing thought to be a sheep. Because when you're sent in the world by Jesus, you don't have to be the brightest. No, you don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the most majestic. You don't have to be the first draft pick. You just have to be you. And here's the kicker. Jesus is okay with it. He's okay with it. Um, so, and he's okay. And he actually prefers it that way. Because you see, it, it seems upside down. Um, but this is what brings Jesus glory. 
It's a testament to who he is and how he can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things when we say yes and take him at his word. And so Jesus is completely comfortable calling you a sheep, and we should be too. And in some ways, we should wear it a little bit like a badge of honors. Paul says this uh, in, first, uh, in his first letter to the Corinthians. Um, it's in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 to 29. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, and not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble of birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that, um, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before. So if you feel like a sheep, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like maybe I can't do this, you're in great company and Jesus is okay to send you anyway because it's through you and your everyday average sheepiness that God is going to go and reach uh, the world. And it's a reverse kind of thing. And so it's kind of flipping the script on how you see yourself. Instead of seeing yourself and what holds you back, your fears, your limitations, your insecurities, start saying yes to those things because Jesus is going to be able to put him on display through them. I think a lot of times we spend a lot of time and energy despising who we are and what we're not. I mean, I, I know I do this all the time. I, I, I'm so critical on myself all the time. The inner narrative in my brain, I spend so much energy thinking about where I want to be and what I don't have and what I could have and how I could be more effective if and just fill in the blank. And all the time, God is, given, is standing right there with an invitation uh, to be a part of his hands and feet and to give him the glory through who I am right now. And this doesn't mean that we don't stop growing, but it does mean that we don't have to be perfect to be sent by God and used by God. But... Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, this verse is a warning. And before we get too confident in our fluffy, fluff, fluff sheepiness, you know, and sort of, yeah, I'm a sheep. I'm a super sheep. This is going to be great. Um, Jesus does tell us that we're being sent into a world of wolves. In other words, Jesus says, I'm sending you into a world that's going to eat you alive. And as sheep, the normal response to that would be a no thank you. I, I heard you, but I'm not going. I don't like the idea of becoming somebody's dinner. I don't know. I, I, actually, I, I don't know how the rest of the animal kingdom does it. I'm so glad that we're at the top of the food chain because, like, for most animals, the end of their life is like, ah, 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 and that's it. Okay, sorry. I don't know where that came from. But for me, like, so I don't, I don't want to go into that sheepiness. I don't want to be at the bottom of the food chain today, God. I don't want to go there. Uh, Jesus is calling his disciples to lay it all the line and go to places that might not readily accept their response. And it, it is going to be a hard place. So why would anyone say yes to that call? Why would anyone answer that? And I think the answer is a few verses back in, in Matthew t in chapter 10. Starting with verse 5, Jesus says, these 12 that Jesus sent out into the following, sent out with the following instructions. Do not go amongst the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. It starts with Jesus' heart for the lost. Jesus has a heart for the lost. And there is no way any of us are going to answer the call to be like sheep in a world full of lives. lives sorry, word full of wolves. Tongue twister there. Until we have touched Jesus' heart for the lost. Have you touched, have you experienced God's heart and compassion for those that don't know him? The whole story of scripture. The whole story of the Bible going all the way back to the fall begins with a God who's been in pursuit of his lost children. 
I mean, what does God do at the garden when they're lost, when they, when they go and they hide? They're actually on the run from God, and you see God walking in the cool of the day, calling out to them. And all throughout scripture, God gets closer and closer, ultimately through Jesus, announcing that the kingdom is here, and he makes a way. He's pursuing us. Jesus has a heart for you and I who are lost without him. Jesus said of himself, he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Later, Jesus would send his disciples in, in the Great Commission uh, to go beyond Israel into the world to make disciples of all people. God's heart is for those that do not know him, and he was calling us to be a part of it. But that happens, that changes, that perspective changes when we start to recognize the depths of what God's done for us, and we start to want that for other people. When you understand the depths of what great love God has for you, it changes our perspective on the challenging places that God's calling us. But like sheep, we're creatures of comfort. Let's just be honest. If we're honest, unless something compels us, we're never going to open our circle to new people. We're never going to disrupt our schedules and our time and our busyness for people that we hardly know. And we probably aren't going to risk our comfort to start new conversations when we feel just as awkward as the person that we're talking to. But when you experience what Jesus has done for you at the cross, that should change everything. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. Uh, he says, for Christ's love, can you say that word there? What's the next word? Can you say it with me? compels us. We are compelled by something different, like an inner call, like this movement inside our soul that is stirring us to action. It's the love of Christ that compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. There's a sense that we have died to ourselves and we live in a new life, and we, but we live for him who died for them and was raised again. When we experience the resurrection in our lives, when we experience new hope and new life, it moves to a compelling spirit to see a lost world through a different lens. They're not our enemies. They're not people to avoid. They're not people to be afraid of. And sure, it may seem like a world full of wolves compared to where we're at, but that's the world that God is calling us to read, lead and lead, reach. So there's no avoiding it. We are sent sheep. But Jesus goes on to say that we're sent sheep with a different kind of of mindset. He doesn't just send us as sheep, but he says, okay, you are sheep, but there's a different kind of mindset for you to go for. In the second half of our verse, Jesus uh, says that the ways that we get into this world that wants to eat us alive is to be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Now, shrewd carries with it this idea of being cunning, wise, and creative. When you think of a serpent, like what comes to your mind, kind of this coily thing. I mean, children, if, if, you, if you've seen snakes and you see how they move and they can kind of move and they can wind, uh, they don't follow a straight line or a straight path. They, they coil up, they do all sorts of stuff. And, and with it comes this idea, if you're shrewd like a serpent, that you're, you're flexible, you can move, you, you're, you're wise, you're cunning, and you're creative. And innocent as a dove brings with it the idea of never compromising our walk uh, with Jesus to do what he's calling us to do. So to be shrewd like a serpent and be innocent as a dove, both mindsets are incredibly important for us as a church. And Moraine Valley Church, if we're, if we're gonna be a people that actually reach other people, I think this mindset could become incredibly helpful for us. To start, I think the serpent, uh, kids in the room, can you give me a little hiss? Hey there, yes, all right, good. Just wanna make sure you're with me still, good. Um, the serpent, um, okay, that's enough serpentness, okay, thanks. <laughs> Whoa, scary. Um, <laughs> but... 
to start, uh, I, I think the serpent was an, an intentionally interesting choice for Jesus to use. Um, it's hard to think of a serpent without going back to the garden where God calls the serpent the craftiest of all creatures. I mean, being wise and being crafty in and of itself aren't bad things. The serpent in and of itself, being a creature, isn't a bad thing. Being smart, creative, and skillful are all good. But in a sense, I, I kind of wonder if Jesus is doing a play on words here as if to say, it's time to beat the devil at his own game. It's time to kind of go and beat the devil at his own game. And at the very minimum, being shrewd means that as followers of Jesus, we need to be students of our culture and to be... Um, uh, and the people that we are called and sent to reach. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought of yourself? Have you ever thought of yourself as a student of the people in your life? I mean, I know we have friends, we have relationships, we have coworkers, but have you ever gone there with a the mindset of like, okay, I wanna be a student of my people. I wanna be a student of the people that I'm put in contact. I wanna understand them. That's the kind of what a shrewd mindset starts with a willingness to kind of look at your surroundings, look at your environment, and to be a student of those that you are encountering in your daily life? Have you taken the time to get to know them on a personal level? Have you learned their needs and what they care about? Do you know what they believe and what they think about the world around them? Even if they have ideas that disagree with yours, are you willing to take the time to talk with them to actually understand why they think and believe what they do? Um, have, you, have you kind of learned what makes them tick? Do you know what they love and what they worry about? Do you know what they dream about and what they hope about? And when it comes to reaching our culture, do you have a finger on the pulse of the world and where it's going and how we want to reach it? Do you put yourselves in situations where you can meet and connect with those that don't know Jesus? In your daily life, are you regularly encountering people that don't know Jesus? And if not, that might be a first indication that, okay, Jesus, I need to do some heart work on you. Where and how can I get this started? Because you're sending us as a church to reach those that don't know you. I need to get started. But when you look at the context of this passage, um, you see that Jesus sends his disciples to get up and close and personal with those he's calling them to reach. It's not via tweeting. It's not via Twitter. It's not via whatever the different social media of the day is. It's not through a screen, but it's up close with people. It's actually getting next to them and talking with them because proximity matters. If I could say this, the further we remove ourselves as a church from our culture that we are called to reach, the easier it is for our hearts to become critical. The easier for us just to play the critic. We can look at our culture and where it's headed and even feel a sense of righteous indignation for how wrong the world is and how right we are. Jesus doesn't give his disciples that, that choice and that option. He says, go, get up and close with personal. Like, talk to them, go to their houses, spend times with them, get to know the people in the cities. And when you do, don't be the culture's critic. Don't be uh, pointing the finger at where people are. Instead, serve them. Heal the sick. Talk about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, that God's kingdom is available to you, even though I disagree with you, even though I don't necessarily know that we are on the same platform yet. I just want to let you know that this kingdom is available to you, and I'd like to invite you to talk about it. So rather than sitting at a distance from our culture and being critical we are called to engage the culture. And that starts and happens when we have this mindset of being shrewd. Church, I'd love us to be a shrewd church. Man, it'd be so cool if we could just like pull together our minds and get creative about how we can reach those that are far from God. I would love us to be a church where people far from God come to know and experience the love of Jesus in this space. 
And I'm not saying there isn't room to critique our culture. Don't, don't hear me that wrong. I mean, there, there's a plenty going on in the world that is crazy right now. I mean, believe me, it's nuts. We all see it, but it's different than, than watching it all through a screen or a TV and then sitting at a distance and engaging it. But Jesus calls us to actually go to people's homes, to actually go to people's lives and start sharing that the kingdom of God is available and talking to them about it. So this is what I want us to do. Let's take Jesus on his challenge to be creative about the people he's calling you to reach. Who are the people that are in your path that he might be asking you to be a little bit more of a student of, to ask more questions about how you can reach them? Um, there's, a, there's a passage that puts a lot of handles on this, and I love it. It's in, in Philippians uh, chapter, um, oh wait, is it? Oh, it's in Corinthians chapter nine, um, but I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, Paul is saying this. He says, though I am free, I belong to no one. And though I, I've made myself a slave to everyone, I, to win as, sorry, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave, a servant to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, and so as to win those under the law. To those who are having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, and to win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I think that's the shrewd mindset. It says we become all things to all people, so that by all means possible we might be able to save some. It means setting aside our preferences, setting aside some of our, 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 our I mean not our stances and our doctrine, but setting aside like our, our pride and just humbly serving those that maybe disagree with us and, and walking alongside them so that they have a chance to see the gospel. Because he goes on to say, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share and it's blessing. When you share the good news with other people, that's when we get to share in the blessing of what the good news is all about. Church, let's go and be shrewd. Paul shows us the importance of being sensitive towards others and being aware of the people in the room for the sake of removing any barrier that could become between them and knowing Christ. But engaging with others differently uh, can be challenging. Um, and so just to give us a little bit of a handlebar, um, I'd like to use a tool that's been helpful for me in my life. As you get up and close with people, uh, you know that it's, it's, actually, rewind a second here. The good news is that the burden doesn't fall on you to make someone a convert. The burden doesn't fall on you to change someone's mind. When we shrewdly engage the world around us, we're simply putting out the invitation that the kingdom of God is available. And the rest falls on God. We see this in Matthew 10 again, uh, starting in verse 12. He says, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And if it's not, let your peace return to you. In other words, be with them, live with them. Let them see how you're living. Let your peace be evident as you're amongst them. And if it's not, take the peace back. Don't be anxious about it. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home and leave that town and shake the dust off your feet. Simple as that. We don't have to do the convincing. We just have to do the going. And so this tool has helped me um, as I engage with an unbelieving world and I engage with other people that have different views than me. And so I'd like to pass it to you as we, as we kind of reach our closing here. Is ask, admire, Admit. Ask, admire, admit. 
as we are shrewdly engaged, the people around us, if you could just, actually, let's all say that together, just to, to, so we're, all, we're still here. Say, ask, admire, admit. Okay, easy. All A's. Alliteration is awesome. Um, and uh, it, it starts with this. When you talk to somebody who doesn't maybe believe what you believe or someone you encounter is in the world that you're being sent to, and you're like, okay, I want to be a shrewd individual. Jesus, you're calling me to shrewd. It just starts by asking. And the next slide is to ask is, what do you believe about fill in the blank? What do you believe about God? You know, we've been friends for all our life, and you know I go to church, but I've never really asked you. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about eternity? Um, do you, if, you're, if you talk to somebody who you know has a different faith system than you, say, you know, I, I can tell that you're a devout person. What do you believe about blank? Maybe it has to do with some political issues that are common today that a lot of people like to talk about. Maybe it just starts by asking them, what do you believe about that? Like, what do you think about those things? And then the next part of it is this, admire. Humbly admit something you admire about their belief. This is really an important step because I think so often we're just spending time trying to convince other people to think like us. And we're all aware of it. We know when someone's trying to talk to us and trying to convince us and we don't like it. And yet we do the same thing to other people, don't we? Jesus says, you know, I mean, and that's what Jesus says. One thing we could do is that we ask them about what they believe and we can admire something about them. And that takes some humility. Man, I, I, could, I could tell you're really passionate about what you believe. I could tell you put a lot of thought behind this. I can tell that you've given this a, a lot of, a lot of like, heart and intention, and this really matters to you a lot. This is an important issue to you, isn't it? I admire that. Um, just admit it. And then the next part is this, is, is to admit. Point others to Jesus by admitting your need for a savior. Simply saying, like, I, I agree with you that you have this need in this heart, but the only way that I see the answer to what you're looking for is found in Jesus. Like, I see your passion for this issue, and I can understand this is a big topic for you. And this is a hard one for me to buy into as well, and it's something I struggle with as well. And I've just come to realize that I, the only way that this is going to change my heart is if I have a heart change myself. I need a Savior. And then you just simply say that, you know, that Savior's been available to me. Can I tell you about him? Ask, admire, admit. And just simply just be shrewdly engaging a world around us. And that last part of Matthew 16 um, is an important instruction. It's this. He goes on to say that now that you've been shrewd, you've got to be as innocent as doves. And this is an important one. And I would actually have to say, like, if, if like you're like, like 40 and under, this is probably becoming a growing and uh, pressure on us in ways that we've never experienced before in life. But in an increasingly cancel-oriented culture, we oftentimes live on edge by wanting to be liked, wanting to be respected, and even sometimes we have the best intentions to want to share the love of Jesus with other people, but we don't want to hit those hot button topics. We don't want to talk about where it's difficult or hard, and so this little thing comes in us. was like, well, maybe I could sort of soft sell that. I'll, I'll talk about the great parts of Jesus, and maybe we'll get to those parts a little bit later, or maybe even just compromise them entirely. And I, I've seen it happen in a lot of conversations where it, it, rather than, than actually give them the full picture of Jesus, we only give them a piece of Jesus. And Jesus says not to compromise anything. This idea of being innocent as a dove means that we don't compromise God's call in our life. We don't compromise God's standard. And we don't compromise our witness to the people around us. There are things that we could do, lots of our choices that could compromise our witness to other people. I think one of the ways that we sometimes compromise is with the truth. Uh, with truth. As a church, we oftentimes talk about the context of grace and truth. Grace is where God meets us where we're at. 
and truth is always a standard that we're being invited into. And as a church, we're called to be innocent as doves, never compromising truth, not afraid to show grace, but the two have to go hand in hand. Beth Moore said this thing a few years ago, and it's a, um, some of you may be familiar with this, this quote, but I think it bears repeating. It says, you will see a generation of Christians set aside the Bible as an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it's gonna sound completely plausible. But this will be perhaps one of the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in our, of our generation, sacrificing truth for love's sake. And you will rise or fall based on whether or not you sacrifice one for the other. And will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? When Jesus sends us out into the world to be as innocent as a dove, it means to be uncompromising to the call that he has on your life. It means to, to hold on to it and walk in that tension of truth and love. So church, are you ready? There is a world out there that in just a few minutes, we're gonna spend the rest of our weekend. There are lives that you are going to encounter there are people that do not know the amazing love of Jesus that we get to experience week in and week out in this place and that you get to experience every day in your daily life. And it breaks, it breaks God's heart. Would you be so bold to say, Jesus, I wanna take you at your word. I want what moves your heart to move my heart. And I wanna go into a world that is lost and I wanna, I wanna go as scary as it is, and as much as things come, and maybe even hardship or persecution come my way, I wanna go unfaultingly because I wanna put you on display. I wanna be a sheep that's sent by Jesus, and when the world looks at these, these, these sheep world changers, they wonder, how on earth is this happening? How on earth are people's lives changing? How on earth are sheep doing this? We could say it's because we're not just sheep. It's because we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd who's calling us to bring a kingdom unlike anything you've experienced, and it's available to you. So would we answer Jesus' call to be a sent church by being shrewd, as shrewd as a serpent and as in a dove? Where is Jesus sending you this week? Who are you being sent to to reach? Like a sheep, maybe where are you afraid? Maybe there's been that burning per the question in your heart of like, I know I should bring it up with someone. I know I should start talking about this, but I just, I'm just waiting for that moment to get the push. But that moment's now. I mean, maybe even while I'm talking, why don't you just pull out your phone and text that person and say, hey man, I'm, I'm in church right now and I just, I'd love to talk to you. We talk to them now. Where do you need to be shrewd? Where do you need to be a student of the people that are around you? And if you aren't around people that are far from God, if you aren't exposed to people that know Jesus, maybe have that conversation in the atrium and saying, hey, I'd like to get started. It's never too late to start. Would you pray with me? Jesus, um, thank you for making us ascend church. And Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to be like pioneers this morning as we leave this place. Lord, you sent your disciples into an unfamiliar place and you said you're sending us like sheep into a world that wants to eat us alive. And yet it didn't stop you from that call. Going into a hard place where the gospel wasn't yet didn't stop you from sending us. And you send us like sheep so you could put yourself on display. Would you help us to be those sheep this week? Would you help us to be those people this week that say yes to the things that you're calling us to? Would you help us to be students of our culture? Would you help us to be students of the people and the lives that you've, you've put us around? 
so we can learn how to talk with them and engage with them and help share the kingdom with them, to share the good news and say that Jesus is available to them. And Lord, would you show up in those moments? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to expand our circles, that Moraine Valley Church would continually be a place where people far from God would come to know and experience the love of Jesus in these walls. And that would happen through your divine and amazing work through your sheep, us. So Jesus, take us, ordinary, stubborn, forgetful, hard-headed, fearful, easily repeating to our rut selves and do something extraordinary with us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.